0: Okay, y'all hear me all right? Well, y'all hear that? This is complicated. Might have to ask my wife to come up here. So April and I, we always celebrate the um, anniversary of our first date. And... Uh, it was Friday and 30 years this past week. 30 years was our first date, so that's great. And our first date was a tennis match. Tennis match, and then we went to a place at Wrightsville Beach called Middle of the Island. Who's been, who, whoever, Jake, did y'all ever, you and Kate ever go eat at Middle of the Island on? Right, so beach. Yeah. Yes. Spirit of the Lord was there. Sadly, the middle of the island is no longer there, but it was a wonderful place. Wonderful place. Um, I do want to take a moment to um, to recognize Brady. Um, yeah. So um, in our in our men's group, we've been praying for Brady. For those of you don't know, Brady is just I love Brady, and anyone who knows Brady loves Brady. And uh, Brady graduated uh, from he finished college last year, twenty twenty two, and he's been applying to med schools, and um, he's already gotten into one. How many did you apply? You applied to a couple, a lot, but his top three choices. Where you are UNC wake in Kentucky and he just got accepted to Kentucky and I great? fantastic so we've been praying for for him for that so just I just found out this morning so so that is fantastic we we celebrate we celebrate with you so um, I've got my Barry white voice going this this morning Um <laughs> Allergies have hit. Uh, we had a um, at the church that that April and I, our sending church that, where we went that sent us to Uganda, had um, an elder missionary statement. Statement. His name was Peter Stam. And he was famous in the mission world, and he had this really deep voice. And when I don't have this rich baritone, my voice is a bit nasally, and I used to just wish wish I had his voice. So today is really good. (laughs) Yeah, I feel very anointed right now. Oh, it's on? Oh, they're getting all this. (laughs) Okay. All right. So all right. So what do I want to talk about? I do have something to talk about. But I do want to make sure, and we've been doing this, and one of the things that that I I love the most about about our fellowship is that we make time to just bask and rest in the presence of the Lord. And um, it's really rare. And, And by saying that, I'm not in any way tooting our horn. Um, but it really is a rare thing to be at a church that is not rushing. And um, just praise the Lord for that. Um, last time I preached, it's, it's been a little while, um, and if, if y'all were here, I was going through quite a bit, actually. Um, the Lord had really revealed some things in my life just where I wasn't resting that revealed a lot of sorrow that I was still carrying and um, that I just still hadn't really learned how to deal with. And in the goodness of God, that really set off what was what has been probably the, the most transformational season of my life. Uh, I can say it has been the most transformational season of my life. and. Uh, a wonderful time of renewal for me um, that I didn't see coming. And um, I want to tell you that the, the leadership of this church, um, our elders um, and, and, and David, have just given me, just they just let me rest through that time. And it's been absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. They didn't, didn't ask me to preach. And just let me rest. And, and just making sure that, that whatever the Spirit was doing in my life, that I was given the space to, to just let that, let that take primacy in my life. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And it says a lot about what type of church we have. So, um, so we've been talking about... Um, about mountains, mountains of the Lord, and um, about God on the top of the mountain, right? and about God inviting us up to the mountain. We looked at, at Sinai a couple of weeks ago, and this, this invitation that, that God at Sinai gave to, to the people of God in, in Exodus 19 to, to come up to the mountain, if you remember, you know, God's original call to his people was to make them a kingdom of priests, right? Not just to have a Levitical priesthood that did all the work for, for all the, the, you know, the, the millions of, of the children, but to make them all a kingdom of priests. So what we see at, at Mount Sinai is an invitation for them all to come near. And we see a father... Who's ready to run down the mountain to meet them? And of course, at the very last moment, what happens? Yeah. You'd say they get, I mean, scared. I think it's probably also hardness of hearts, probably the the biggest reason. You know, and and, and they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. And, And one of the things that, um, we, we, we learn in, in relationships is, is there's no such thing, and maybe you've learned in a relationship, I certainly have, is, is you can't be in a relationship without taking risk. You know, the, the, well, you can be in one. But you're not going to get much out of it, are you? Every relationship requires you putting, putting yourself in a position where you can get hurt, Right? And you're not really going to find out how much you are loved until you put all of your heart out. And instead of it getting rejected, what happens? It gets valued, Come on. it gets received. And that's the risk. And of course, we find that our Father, our Heavenly Father, does that every single time He comes to us. You know, we don't think about that a lot. I don't know if you've thought about that much. But our Father never holds back. He always gives us everything He has. And it's up to us whether we want to embrace it or say, huh, not right now. I and mean, we see that most perfectly in who? Jesus. His very finest. His one and only Son. He gave us everything. And so he has, the Father has a wonderful track record with us. Wonderful track record. And, um, and so his, his dealings with, with um, Israel... We see this over and over again, um, specifically in um, well, we see it. We see it as they're, as Israel is is going through the wilderness. You know, he's, he's he's calling them. He's speaking through Moses to them. You know, after Sinai, well, at that moment of Sinai, when when they decide, you know, we're we're not going to do that. We're not going to go up. We're not going to go up to the mountain. So God has to protect them. He's not protecting himself. He's protecting them. Because once they reject him, you know, his holy, He's he's got to protect them. And so then they have to deal, you know, they have to only get it through, through Moses. And so there's this, you know, this intercession that takes place all through the rest of their, their wanderings. And, you know, they, they end up taking 40 years through it. And it's a tragedy they lose their capacity to hear God.
1: And, and, and when they finally do cross over the
0: Jordan, they set before, um, well, this is at, at, Moses, at the end of Moses' life, actually, and I wasn't planning on bringing this up, but since I am. Um, this is at the end of Deuteronomy. Let's, let's just, if you want to open that, you can. Which Deuteronomy, basically, the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is, is the law. If you want to know what that means? And so it's the last, basically, the, the, the end of Deuteronomy, we get this you know, great um, sermon of Moses. And, um, um, and, and, and Moses reads the covenant to them. And, with the, and, and as he's doing that, it's, it's, it's an amazing setting. And, and before, before the children of Israel, they all gather, there's, there's Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And, and Mount Gerizim stands for the blessings. And Mount Ebal, the cursings. And, and, and you know, Mount Gerizim is this beautiful mountain. Ebal is this just cursed mountain. Nothing grows on it. And um, I remember April and I driving into, uh, we were in uh, Tanzania, um, driving down from, from Kenya, um, driving down into to, um, uh, Arusha. Yeah, Arusha. And Arusha is, is this amazing place. It's to the west of Kilimanjaro. And, um, and everything on the east side of it is completely barren desert. I mean, it's, it's like a moon surface almost. And there's a, there's a mount, and, and there's a mountain, 14,000 foot mountain that looks almost like the type of mountain that you drew when you were in kindergarten, third grade. It's, spe- it's spectacular. 14,000 feet just goes up. And Kilimanjaro is right in the distance, which is 19,000 feet just up. It's phenomenal. And... Um, but when you drive around the northern side of it, which we did, as soon as you cross the northern point of it and get to the northwest side of it, it turns into an absolute garden, absolute garden. In fact, there's a, a place called Nggeti there. A place called en Gedi. Um But anyway, it's it, it, at that one marker. It's like It's like Gerizim and Ebal. Blessing and curse. But anyway, I digress. Um, Moses says, today I put before you blessing and curses. Which one will you choose? And of course, children of Israel, what do they say? You know, we're going to choose blessing. You know, you know, we will follow the law. We will do everything you say. And Moses, his response is, no, you won't. Because you can't. Because you can't. We we had a um, a friend in um in the village in in Uganda. He was in his sixties. He was an old hunter. He used to hunt elephants and rhinos with you know with bow and arrow and spears. And he was going to take me hunting. And um and this was um. And I wanted to go hunting with him. And we we were going to hunt like boar like, well, not boar, warthogs. And um, so I was trying to talk him into letting me go hunting. And he laughed at me. And he said, we run very much. And he was saying that in, in very broken English. And I said, well, I can do that. He just laughed at me. Said, you can't. <laughs> just like Moses spoke him that day. Um, but, but, but and it's, it's really sad because they couldn't. They couldn't. Even though they said they wanted to, they couldn't. They did not have the capacity. And, and, and David has spoken in the last, you know, about three or four, well, more than three or four weeks ago, um, about what happened when we fell in the garden. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had you know, the tree of life that they could gaze upon. They could, they could eat the fruit. And then they had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not supposed to eat on. And of course, as soon as they saw that tree and decided to eat upon, you know, everything everything went bad. Everything went bad. And as soon as that happened, well, before that happened, they had the capacity not to sin. They had the capacity not to sin. Well, as soon, though, as they ate of that, they no longer had the capacity not to sin. And so when man and the rest of mankind after that no longer had the capacity not to sin. But you and I, once we meet Christ, once we are made alive in Christ and the Spirit comes with comes in us to live we have the capacity not to sin we will return we we return to the garden we return to the garden and so you know the the world may see everything that you know our praises to God and every our relationship to God is foolishness but it's no longer foolishness to us is it? Because we're able to see that he's worthy to be praised. We're able to see that he's worthy to hope in. But the world can't see that. So, so Moses under, you know, understood, had some understanding of this mystery, and understood that the people of God could not could not remain in covenant with God. And he told them. He told them, basically, that they were going to fall. I'm Forgive me the allergies. I'm going to have to put this in my mouth. So. I'm sorry, I'm trying not to. We see this process especially begin to work itself out in the book of Judges of it's called the deuteronomic cycle and Israel falls away from the covenant and judgment comes and what happens the the nations all around them come in and they they you know they and it's which is God's judgment all of the things that Moses said would happen you know when they when they break covenant with God the nations come in they destroy their crops they enslave them and then god would send a judge who would remind israel of the covenant there would be some sort of renewal national renewal and then god in his faithfulness would drive out would drive out the invaders things would be good for a while and then what would happen they would they would do it all over again so that cycle just recapitulated itself over and over again. When they finally got a king in Saul, there were, you know, Saul led him well for a while, but then Saul, being man, did the same thing. When they got David, he did well for a while, not so good after that. And so the same thing went over and over and over again. And so there was no escape from that. No escape from that. And we read about that, of course, and first and second samuel first and second kings right first and second chronicles right now let me ask you this have you ever wondered why there's a first and second chronicles some of you might okay you haven't one i used to wonder about it guess what you should wonder about why there's a first and second chronicles because it's it it it's Basically, goes over the same things, a lot of the same things that First and Second Samuel does in First and Second Kings, and so, and it's just stuck on the back of in, in our Bible, it's stuck after right after First and Second Kings. Well, it's not there as just a supplement to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. In the Hebrew Bible, it's the last book of the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. As are Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then Chronicles. And it's it was this the oldest it's the it's, excuse me it's the youngest book the last book of the Bible, and and Chronicles was written to. It was written by, by a unknown an unknown writer, but but he's called the preacher. And he wrote it for the, the, the community of Israel who was in exile at that time. Exile in Babylon. And some of them were beginning to come back after Cyrus released them from captivity. And so, so, so the chronicler wrote this in order to exhort them to good deeds. And so, and so they, they would read this. So there's, there's chronicles of, of, of bad kings there's also some stories of some great kings. And so one of the tragic figures is, is Ahaz. Ahaz was a bad king. A bad king. But, but he's also one of the real tragic figures. I don't have time to go there right now. But the um, prophecy in Isaiah, um, where Isaiah speaks to, to Ahaz, it's in uh, Isaiah 7. A lot of us know that, that prophecy, um, talking about Emmanuel. That prophecy is actually not so clearly about Christ. Isaiah 9 is, without a doubt. But there's there's something really sad in that, in that God is asking Ahaz to test him. God is promising. He's promising to fulfill the Davidic covenant. And and if you remember, if you want to go there, I don't have time to do this right now, but in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a promise to David. God is so pleased with David. If you remember, David was a man after God's own heart. After God's own heart. And, and God, you know, the Father was just said, I am going to make your throne last forever. And through your throne, I will establish forever. And I'm going to put someone on there who's going to be... Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, he doesn't reveal at that time that that it's going to be, you know, God in the flesh. But he basically is saying this person is going to deliver Israel from all its enemy, from all times, if, what, you follow my statutes. Right? So by the time David and Solomon and all the other kings follow them, though, They haven't been doing that, right? But by the time we get to Ahaz, God comes to Ahaz, speaking through Isaiah, and he says, test me. I'm going to do this. And And Ahaz says, I will not test you. And the rest is history. But the son of Ahaz comes, and he's a guy named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, according to 2 Kings 18, I'm going to look at that real quick. 2 Kings 18, verse 5. Speaking of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord God commanded Moses. That the Lord commanded Moses. Now, of course, Judah claimed David and, and Solomon. So, in a way, they're not saying that he was better than David and Solomon, but if you look at the life and what's recorded about Hezekiah, he lived a more righteous life than David and Solomon. So he is, in the Old Testament, he's a hero. And it's, it's kind of, I don't know why, um, I don't know why he doesn't get more, you know, more high fives. Um, the, uh, the one of the old you've heard David talks about Tim Laniak. He was the dean at, at Gordon Conwell and an Old Testament professor. And he and I we used to talk about Hezekiah. Why don't people more people talk about Hezekiah? Because he's such a, a heroic figure in the Old Testament. Um. So Hezekiah, we find Hezekiah in Second Chronicles. And um, so I'm getting there. It's not going to be as long in, in Chronicles as I thought. But by the time Hezekiah ascends to the throne, the temple is in bad shape. In fact, you know, the kingdom is divided, it divided you know, after, after Solomon. And, um, and at the, by the time at the time that Hezekiah comes to the throne, the northern kingdom, Israel, has been taken off into exile by the Assyrians. So things are looking really, really bad. And Judah, which is now what's left of Israel, Judah, which has Jerusalem, uh, has just gotten through the, the disastrous reign of Ahaz, who was an evil king. Uh, Ahaz set up all the Syrian gods um, all through Jerusalem. He, he put up high places all not just through Jerusalem, but all through, all through um, Judah, um, Judea. And, and he put up um, even in the temple, he put up foreign gods. And he also stripped st- stripped much of the temple of its gold and, and he just desecrated it. Absolutely desecrated. But Hezekiah has his heart set on the Lord and he starts just setting things right, setting things right. So we find ourselves in 2 in Chronicles um, 29, actually, and, um, when he reigns and he begins immediately to start cleansing the temple, cleansing the temple. And, and right away, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. And um, and so, as he restores the temple, kind of a mini revival starts to starts to take place. Sorry, I'm going do whatever I just did. Um, and so, out out of that mini revival, there's a recognition becomes this recognition that God is moving. So at, at the end of chapter twenty-nine, we read that uh, in verse thirty-six, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had prepared for the people, because of what God had prepared for the people. For the thing had come about suddenly, and um, as and and right prior to that, you know they had been able to you know restore temple temple worship, which included. You know, all of the, the, um, the sacrifices, which is not an easy thing to do when you read about all of the animals they started sacrificing. And of course, the priesthood and the Levites, they weren't ceremonially clean. So, um, and, but they went ahead and started doing it anyway. And what we find is that the mercy of God was over them. The mercy of God was over them. Just like at Sinai, even though God had, had you, know, you know, from Eden, you know chased Adam and Eve out of Eden, and everything that had followed, at Sinai we see God ready to bring them up the mountain and, and run down and meet them as well, halfway up. And here, in spite of all of, all of the failure, I mean, and, and at this point, Israel had been a miserable failure, let's face it. They were not keeping the law. They were making a, a, a mess out of it. God accepts it. Unless we think that God didn't care about the law, Abihu and Nahab, Aaron's son, the beginning of... Um, Begin in Numbers, we read about them offering strange fire to the Lord, and they get consumed. So, God does care about holiness, his holiness, and how we approach them. But what is he more concerned about? Our heart. He's more concerned about our heart. And God is love. He's holy, but he wants to be with his people. He wants to be with his people. And so the elders in chapter 30 decide that we're going to celebrate the Passover. And they haven't done this in a while. And so letters are sent out across not just Judah, but... In, even into Israel, and uh, we read about uh, in in verse five. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, which is which is interesting that it's not just saying to Judah and to parts of of um, you know Ephraim and but he says all Israel. And so right there, the that's where the chronicler is trying to 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 to, to encourage the exile community, that we're talking about all Israel here. We're Israel guys. We're Israel guys. God is doing something. And he says that, that the people should come from Beersheba to Dan. And, of course, Beersheba is in the nor- was in the northern kingdom. It's the northernmost point of Israel, and Dan is the southernmost point of Israel. So when they say from Beersheba to Dan, that means every part in between every part in between. So, so, so the invitation is for, they're hoping for a national revival to come. Everyone comes, that people should come and keep the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem. So the couriers of God went out, and the, the letter says, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again, to the remnant of you who have escaped the land from the hands of the kings of Assyria, do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord, the God of the Father, the God of their fathers, so, do you, so that He made them a desolation, as you see. So, one of the other themes that you will find throughout the Chronicles is the chronicler reminding Israel that God is holy and reminding them of the covenant that when you break covenant with God judgment comes and so there's the conditionality it's a conditional relationship which again, it's, it's, it's tragic it's tragic Israel were invited up the mountain to feast with God and we get a, just a glimpse of that when Moses went up to receive the law. The 70 elders went up and, and ate with God in his presence and saw, his, saw him. And so it was a glimpse of what God had in store. We see just a glimpse of it. But they turned away from it. And this is what they have in place. So the chronicler, with, with all, that, all the encouragement that he was bringing, this wonderful vision that, that he had for them to return to the Lord. Still, all that he could in the end say, though, was remind them of a conditional relationship. Yeah. But there is something else in this story, though. There is something behind this story. Um, the couriers went out, verse 10, through Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulon. But they laughed and scorned and mocked them, However, some men of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulon humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of God. Of course, you and I read that the spirit was moving. So, so, you know, this is... this is the Trinity in action. It's always not as clear in the Old Testament. But the Father, the Spirit, and the Son were at work in here. We have to know that. We have to recognize that. And so so the Father was moving in their hearts so that this could take place. Um... And many people down in verse 13 came together to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is another way of describing it as Passover. And um, and so immediately this group of people, along with the Levites and priests, get to work. They start taking altars down all over Jerusalem. And it, it's kind of a, I don't know if it's a funny picture, but it doesn't seem very organized, the the, the the picture of them tearing down and they're taking them down to the to the brook kidron you know they're burning them and they're dumping them in this brook it, it, and the picture is is maybe a lot of zeal um a lot of zeal um but maybe not the most organized zeal um big mess maybe because while all this is going on the Levites and the priests are not purifying themselves, but they're tearing a lot of things down. Which I mean, they have to; they need to tear this stuff down. But, but they are not—they are not um, purifying themselves. Also, this is the second month, not the first month of the fourteenth day when they're supposed to be celebrating Passover. So they're—they're they're a month late. Now, the law allowed made. May, made um, allowances for people to celebrate, you know, in hardship, to celebrate it late. But that was for people. We have a whole, the whole nation coming in late with not only the priesthood, but also the Levites, and very few of the people had actually cleansed themselves properly, and of course, when the, when the people come to the altar, come to the temple, they're also supposed to take part in the sacrifices as well. Most of them we read, I'm kind of skipping over this, couldn't even do that as well. So you had the Levite sprinkling blood on the priests. you had, had the priest sprinkling blood on the people. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a mess. But in spite of all that, the mercy and kindness of the Lord covered it all. Covered it all. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the chronicler recognizes that. And what he puts his finger on is the righteous king. And the aspect that, that comes out, what we see about this righteous king is a king who is operating, not just as a king, but also as a priest and as a
1: prophet. Now, it doesn't
0: jump out at you, but if you look in there, if you look in there, you see his priestly duty. And because in in verse 18, we read that, for a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulon, had not cleansed themselves yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed to them, saying... Now this, this verse right here, 19, is the climax of the whole passage. And there's a structure called a chiasm, chiastic structure. And a chiasm is a literary structure that helps the listener understand what's going on in the passage. And so it's... Um, Kind of this a, a chiasm that you are very familiar with. Most of you is Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down, broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. So think about it. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a of water. Jack fell down, broke his crown, Jill came tumbling after. So you see, they're going up and then they come down. So you can you can listen to it and understand that there's moving. Movement up, and that the, the top part of it is is kind of the climax. They fell, and then they're tumbling down, and they both end up back at the same place. They stop start at the top of the hill, and they ended at the bottom of the hill. How did they both start and end up at the bottom of the hill? They climbed to the top of the hill, and they fell. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a kayak, a much more. Um, a much bigger chiastic structure going on in this whole story. And the climax is this next part. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, "May the good Lord pardon everyone who sees His heart to see God, who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers." even though not according to the sanctuary's rule of cleanliness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. That is a priestly prayer. It's a priestly prayer. And we see Hezekiah in a prophetic role encouraging the people to follow the law. He's encouraging the priests to purify themselves. One of the primary primary roles of a prophet in the Old Testament is making sure, apart from foretelling, even before that, is making sure the king and the people of Israel are actually following the law. So we see Hezekiah in this this three-part role, prophet, priest, and king, which is a preamble to Jesus. Jesus as the Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. So I, again, I don't think the Chronicler recognized this, but we see this, I think, the Spirit kind of hiding this in, in Scripture for us to see Hezekiah as, as, a, as, a, as a proto-Christ. Figure. And what is God saying? My hand is on someone who will intercede on my behalf and I will heal the people. Another thing that's real interesting here is we see the fulfillment of, of uh, Solomon's prayer from Second Chronicles 7. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble myself and you know, come to me and ask forgiveness, I will I will, I will forgive their sins and heal the land. Heal the land. Which, as an aside, you hear that prayer a lot even today. You know, a, a lot of us were at churches that that would, you know, if we're going to have a concert of prayer, you see that that use that 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 passage used a lot still today. Do you know that that prayer doesn't apply to us really anymore? In a wonderful way? Because you and I aren't under a conditional covenant anymore. And um I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm actually, I'm gonna. I'm kind of running out of time, so I want to, kind of, to kind of. I'm gonna begin to wrap things up here, because I could just keep. I could keep going on. Um. It, it, yeah, as as wonderful as, and again, this is a beautiful story, and I, I would encourage encourage you to to spend time if you haven't spent time in this passage to to look at it because it is. A wonderful story of, of the presence and favor of God coming on a man, a person. You know, it wasn't because he's a man, but 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 coming on a person, a king, at a very dark time, and bringing revival after a very, you know after a king who was very evil. But it's also a picture of the futility of the law because guess who follows Hezekiah Manasseh the most wicked his son the most wicked of all the kings which is
1: yeah yeah
0: so praise God That you and I have been set free from that. We have been set free from that.
1: Take a moment. But the law is still all around us. <clears throat> I was taught the law growing up in church.
0: And that's why I was still living under sorrow. I was crushing me. That's why I was still enslaved to, to this a uh, mentality of performance, scared of failing. Because even though I, I understood that I was, a, you know, I was a new person in Christ, and I even come to, to understand that when Paul was um, was arguing in, in, in Romans 7, second half of Romans 7, I'd even come to understand that the wretched man was Paul talking about life under the law. But it had been so ingrained in me growing up that it hadn't made its way to my heart. Hadn't made its way to my
1: heart. I think that's a question. I don't
0: think there's a question that the Lord is bringing up all through our congregation right now. Are there still parts of your life where that truth is yet to make it through? Are you still living under the law? Or does the law still have a part of you in some ways? And it's not that you are still under the law, but are you still submitting to it in some ways? The law of the mind. Thanks be to God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free
1: As Paul wrote to
0: the second Corinthians, we regard no one, therefore now according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. For if you are in Christ, you are a new creation.
1: A new creation. You are the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. Death has no hold on you, has no right to you any longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's um, I'll just invite you to just close your eyes.
1: Holy Spirit, come. We thank you for how great a salvation we have. We also acknowledge
0: that that sometimes we don't see it all. There are things in our lives that have, have blinded us.
1: So Father, I ask right
0: now, That there are places and people within this congregation, or even me. There are still still blind spots. Where the law is still at work. Would you reveal it now?
1: Father, we thank You that Your love, Your heart for us is of a Father who can never be disappointed. Father, we thank You.
0: Thank You for this time to to worship You, to, to be fed by You,
1: or to be Your body. Lord, have your way in us. Amen. 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 Well, thank you.